Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, August the 10th, 2004. You ready for more? More idiots? More... <laughs> More screwballs. I just got a book in the mail. Oh, look, I said, a good book. It's called Idiot Proof. I was watching the uh, authors on C-SPAN the other night. Let's see, Francis Ween, if you want to go to the bookstore and get this, W-H-E-E-N, they're Brits. And it's a book called Idiot Proof. Uh, it's about deluded celebrities, irrational power brokers, media morons, and the erosion of common sense. Um, I'm not sure he's got he's got all of this right. Uh, as I say, it just fell into my hand. But I I'm going to read it over the um, next week. Um, the list of people he's picked are, are pretty hilarious. Let's see, uh, the British Prime Minister's wife wearing good karma crystals recommended to her by the American First Lady. Oh, yes. Oh, this guy claims that barely 11% of Americans believe in evolution and that almost half of them are happier with the notion that the world is less than 10,000 years old. <laughs> Never mind. We spend $27 billion annually on medical cures that have no proven benefit to health. Uh, preachers, reverend preachers are heard to observe that UFOs are astonishingly angel-like. We have seen the end of history, nature, and empirical proof. And in their stead, God has made a terrific comeback. And he makes a lot of uh, lists of various idiots. My favorite idiot, I guess, would have to be George W. Bush. Let's see, back here in January... Uh, January 21st, 2000, that's before 9-11, before, folks, a speech by George W. Bush in Council Bluffs, Iowa. The president was uh, heard to say, when I was coming up, it was a dangerous world, and we knew exactly who the they were. It was us versus them, and it was clear who they them was. Yes, clear who them was. That's a quote. It was clear who them was. Today, we are not so sure who the they are, but we know they're there. <laughs> anyway, this book is called Idiot Proof. It's in the stores. Now, it is awfully funny. Um, Here's a review. It says this is a provocative and devastatingly detailed bestiary of the myriad monsters that the modern sleep of reason has produced. Read it and think. 
let's see, it's fast and smart and very funny, uh, despite being all about how we've been, uh, well, how we have betrayed the Enlightenment by retreating back into the Dark Ages, yes, forward into the past. That's what I call these things, yes, forward into the past with the retro soldiers. Uh, okay, Tony Blair, George Bush, Deepak Chopra, everybody from... Well, actually, um, the reviewers point out that this is a good companion to Michael Moore's book, Stupid White Men. And as it's about people of both sexes and every conceivable hue, it's arguably even more ambitious. Praise for idiot proof. Um, I don't know, I guess, you know, what is it? Molly Ivan says, you have got to laugh or you will go insane. <laughs> I was looking at... My New Yorkers, this morning there's a great cartoon. I'm going to blow it up, make a big picture for the wall. It says, uh, it's a, a storm. There's this huge storm blowing in the wind and you can hardly see the figures. Uh, there's a man climbing a ladder apparently up into a lighthouse, you know, and the, uh, the ocean is hitting the rocks and everything is blowing wildly and he's listening to the voices coming out, um, out of the sea. I suppose they're all calling for help, and he says, uh, he says, uh, no, he says, um, uh, I'm not on duty. I'm not on duty. I just came back for my flip-flops. <laughs> That's, yes, John Carey is going to save us. Yes, I heard that one before. You know who's going to save us. We are going to save us. Um, uh, that's the only one. Uh, I'm still, still, Digging through Bill Clinton's autobiography, My Life. I had meant to write a good print review, something, something that I could uh, call a synthesis, you know, of that eight years, but I'm just too fragmented and I still haven't finished all the political parts. It's 999 pages. And I don't like to whine, you know, but uh, even the New Yorker is making a little fun of it, you know, they have little cartoon saying what was left out of Bill Clinton's book, you know, the color of his T-shirt in junior high school and so on. It's bad luck to go over a thousand pages, according to some publishers. Uh, the book critics uh, don't so much complain about the length. Um, what they boil it down to is whether or not Bill should have written a book about history, that is, about social change or politics, or whether he should have written a uh, self-help book, you know, <laughs> for for private psychological solace. Joe Klein in, um, oh, I don't remember, it was Newsweek or Time, one of them. Anyway, he was uh, asking Bill Clinton what he hoped the book would do, and Clinton said that he hoped it would help people examine their lives. And, uh, of course, this is dismissed as uh, uh, so much psychobabble, poppycock by the uh, stern, stern critics. Uh, they keep asking, is this about history or about him? And, of course, uh, it always occurs to me that uh, these are the sort of pundits who need to be, uh, who need to be led. They need to be uh, re-educated and shown that there is a connection between the personal and the political, there is always a connection between men and the times in which they live. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
was it the great Margaret Atwood once, she said, that she believed that what gets written has something to do with who people are and where they live. She said, I live in Canada. There's nothing you can do about the Ice Age. Anyway, politics, as we know, is people. Even the president is a people, as George Bush might say. And I'm with the folks who think that Bill and Hill, yes, Hill, Bill, Bill and Hillary are heroic. Uh, they just kept trying, in spite of all the mean-spirited uh, folks around them, this political climate, you know, this nation which has lurched to the right. Uh, I don't know how they keep their heads above water, of course. Of course, please don't write and yell at me. I am aware, folks, of the compromises that the Clintons made. I know that the point at which those compromises became complicity I know that at that point we did see Bill's soul leave his body, as I think a senator said. That came with welfare deform. That would be my choice as the ultimate betrayal of the progressive values that uh, matter to me. What interests me about this book, this autobiography, is Bill Clinton's effort to actually examine his own life, his own motives, uh, to study himself to find his place in time. Now, uh, a lot of people tell you that the unexamined life is not worth living, and if that is true, then, of course, most public persons um, are worthless, yes, in the sense that they they just aren't in the business of thinking. They're not going to, um, what is that, uh, sit down and pick themselves apart. That's not the way to win elections. They're into doing, not being. Lots of media pundits have dismissed Bill Clinton's book as a self-help exercise, you know, new age. They, One of them called him an empathy junkie. I made a special note of that, yes, an empathy junkie. Uh, his new age language and his new age attitude provokes their irritation, you know, the mainstream commentators. They don't like the sound of that talk, uh, uh, they want to believe that, well, they believe he's a hippie from, a horny hippie, right, a horny hippie from Hope, Arkansas. Or some of them think of him as a liberal intellectual with this Marin County um, lifestyle, you know, uh, open marriage kind of thing. These reactions, of course, are to both the Clintons, both Hillary and Bill. And uh, they always seem to me to, to arise from... Uh, a simmering dislike of modern feminism. Uh, you know, that's always just under the surface if you think of feminism as modernism, as I do. Calling Bill Clinton a feminist always gets me in real hot water here at KPFA. I get really outraged calls. What's that about? I wonder. Even Clinton's worst enemies uh, will admit that he doesn't have a sexist bone in his body. Dick Morris said as much on C-SPAN last week. Uh, of course, the job description of any president of these United States includes acts of aggression, acts that clearly violate most feminist principles of pacifism. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Presidents kill I operate on the presumption that the worst of these guys uh, view their job as a license to kill. This is obvious in today's uh, 
climate of war. And the best of them, though, do attempt to, well, not, not, not to be good, but at least to, to, to have a stay of execution if they can possibly, uh, wangle it. One of the reviews of Clinton's, uh, book, Herbert, um, oh, Henry Kertzberg, he says that he, he believes that in his heart Bill Clinton is not for the death penalty. I, I get hung up on that one. He did, of course, preside over, uh, the death of, uh, prisoners, people on death row when he was governor of Arkansas. Okay, uh, Clinton got the job, the job in uh, the Oval Office when he was 46 years old. I think that had the force been with him, he might have done great things. As you know, most politicians have to figure out where the people are going and then they go to the head of the march and lead them. As it was, Clinton himself admits that it took everything he had just to, um, you know, prevent that Republican coup in 1994 to block their kick. That is, uh, he was on the defensive, guerrilla warfare. Um, Newt Gingrich shut down the federal government. Uh, Clinton's constituency let him down. Basically, all he had was Hillary and a handful of pals. Hillary had the guts to name the vast right-wing conspiracy... Yes, she called it what it was. A pack of hounds willing to do anything to get the Clintons, as I see it. Um, my favorite has to be the hound at the Christian convention. Years and years ago, he said, <laughs> he said, Washington, D.C. was no longer Sodom and Gomorrah. It was now Rodham and Gomorrah. It's curious that some of Bill Clinton's sins, picadillos, um, well, the womanizing, got transferred to Hillary. Um, it was very confusing when, of course, she was the injured party, technically speaking. Um, <laughs> there's more to that story. And Bill Clinton certainly isn't telling. This is not a kiss-and-tell book, by the way, folks. Uh, you won't learn anything here um, that you weren't, well, of course... Um, I remember paying a great deal of attention during the eight years Clinton was in office, but there are no real revelations uh, in terms of his personal life, a few, but the truth is that, um, as some critics have pointed out, if Hillary wanted revenge, <laughs> she's got it because Bill Clinton cannot truly spill the beans if Hillary Clinton wishes to run for president. He'll have to be at least circumspect, um, if you're not ready to sit down and read Bill Clinton's tome, it does weigh three pounds and five ounces, check out a review, the review in the New Yorker by Henry Kertzberg. I think I've mentioned that one before. Henry Kertzberg is the number one political analyst at the New Yorker, and he's become my number one favorite when it comes to... Um, the spin, yes, the spin on current events. Um, Hertzberg writes, this is literature as retail politics. Come to think of it, Hertzberg has a collection of essays. We've got to get a hold of that, and uh, I've read most of them, but I think we need to use that uh, book here on KPFA. He demands, um, he even points out that Clinton's book might have been, quote, three times as good and a third as long if it had been written half as fast. <laughs> yes, end of quote, yes. 
Clinton had a deadline. He had to write the thing, you know, and get it out before the election, this November election. And, of course, he needed the money right away. He needed to pay off the lawyers. He left office owing, I think he said, $12 million. Just one more way that the right wing um, undercut the Clintons. Uh, but, of course, he has made a fortune on the lecture circuit, that sort of thing. Certainly didn't make his money being the Perez. But um, he couldn't afford to take 10 years the way uh, other writers have done. Let's see. He picked his publisher because they'd done such a good job on Catherine Graham's uh, autobiography. But that one, of course, took her 10 years. I love Gertrude Stein's take on history. She wrote, yes, history takes time, I would add. You have to let things soak and let the, um, let the past stew. Someone wrote, only the dead tell the truth and then not for some years. <laughs> I was thinking the other day of, Jackie Kennedy, I think, put a 50-year moratorium on a lot of material about the Kennedys and her trying to get it out of the, out of the vault would be nice to know, you know, before those of us who care are all dead. Might be nice to know what was going on. Oh, yes, another Gertie Stein line here. I love it. She wrote, let me recite what history teaches. History teaches. <laughs> and it certainly teaches that politics is the art of the possible. I guess what's possible today in the 21st century, that's going to depend on the people, on you and me and the voters. John Kerry can't do it. Bill Clinton can't do it. Um, you know, FDR used to say, yes, uh, you elected me, now get out there and make it happen. Uh, all a politician can do is be a, uh, a weather, what is it, a weather vane. Finds out which way the wind is blowing and then moves in that direction. But, of course, you have to have someone in office who agrees with you, basically. And then, of course, they will uh, ratify, yes. Not veto, as um, George Bush is trying to do. Stop all the progress. I don't know. I guess that enough people... The people, enough good people, loved Bill Clinton to enable him at least to be a two-term president, not uh, done by any Democrats since Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 30s and 40s. Bill's secret ingredient is obvious. It's his humanity, his Elvis quality, they call it, his rock star poisonality. The man was raised mostly by women, Ah, uh, sometimes a good idea. He kept his heart open most of the time, not all of the time. There's a Zen philosopher and poet, uh, Lao Tzu. He wrote once, quote, He who, being a man, remains a woman, will become a universal channel. Well, that's going to irritate some people, but I think we know what he means, yes. If you are holistic, if you see the whole picture as a um, man, woman, woman, man, what Virginia Woolf called man, womanly, or woman, manly, uh, you get the whole scene, you know, to understand 
is to forgive. The French say Clinton does not hate. He even writes a lot about <laughs> people who are really, really, really uh, well. Newt Gingrich, for one. But there's one line about an unabashed Southern racist, and Clinton calls him a canny old rascal. He doesn't seem to waste his energy in uh, hatred, but he's certainly uh, plenty angry. Uh, I think he's more, more than angry, and I think that we will see more of him. Um, the French proverb does say to understand is to forgive, but that doesn't mean you let people off the hook. <laughs> but Bill Clinton understood, certainly in politics, that the only way to deal with the devil is to go to bed with him. What happens after that depends, depends, depends. In Henry Kurtzberg's review, he he says, quote, The overarching theme of the eight years in the Clinton White House was the challenge of liberal governance in an era of harsh conservative mobilization and chronic legislative deadlock. Okay, now, what that means is that if you're a Democrat and the country's Republican, you're going to have a hell of a time getting anything done. Congress is still um, in deadlock. It's so interesting. I think it's one of the reasons why the president has become more of a role model than a um, a workhorse. I kind of thought that uh, it was a mistake to harass Bill Clinton. I thought if he'd been left uh, to get something done, he might have been able to achieve something. You're going to avoid a few wars there. But um, no, no, the uh, the climate right now is just divisive. I, I thought that I thought that our so-called war on terrorism would break down those barriers, but it's made it worse. Uh, now, the theme of Clinton's book, uh, not the theme of his uh, presidency, but the theme of his book is uh, this man's take or spin on his own Dickensian destiny. Uh, it's like a character in a 19th century novel, a Charles Dickens story. Uh, Clinton had this chaotic early life, and it taught him how to cope with difficult people, difficult situations. Uh, he was into social progress, of course, but he understood you do this one human being at a time. His childhood, let's see, here's a quote from Harrisburg's good quote on the uh, the childhood part of the book, which is the best. He says it's a tale tinged with sepia, at once melancholy and idyllic. Right, yes, good, very nice. Uh, I would add that there's this kind of a Tennessee Williams touch, and I thought of other southern writers, Carson McCullers, um, thought of my own Arizona childhood. Uh, Theodore Dreiser comes to mind. Um, the early years, if it's true that the child is father to the man, then this is the key, the key to his character. I can't wait for the movie. Uh, I wish I could play the mother, but <laughs> I think I, yes, we need a young woman for, for Virginia Kelly. Uh, the father, actually, we learn, was married three times before he married Bill Clinton's mother, uh, his biological father, Bill Blythe, yes, had three wives and died at age 28 after he'd married Bill's mom. Uh, Bill's mother was pregnant, and that makes Clinton a posthumous child. 
the psychologists love to play around with posthumous children. Uh, I'm casting the film. I'll send the list of characters to Bill Clinton. Uh, I think the movie should start with the summer Clinton spent in a country house. No indoor plumbing, you know. That's almost as poetic as a log cabin, you know. Kid having to go to the outhouse in the dark. <laughs> yes. Hail to the blithe spirit. Uh, I wonder, I wonder, uh, what would have happened to Bill Clinton had his, uh, had his name been William Jefferson Blythe all his life. Maybe when he went to Cornwall, he went out to find the home of Dylan Thomas. He was a Rhodes Scholar in England. And he got in his little car and, uh, he wanted to go to Swans. He wanted to find the, the house of Dylan Thomas the poet. And he ran out of gas before he got there. And so he never quite got to the, um, the literary goal of his early life. I don't really see Bill Clinton becoming, um, a literary legend. He is a man of action, and of course, Hillary Clinton is the person who made it possible for him to keep going. Um, yes, Hepburn and Tracy. That's the way I see those two, Hepburn and Tracy. Let me give you again the date on the review. It's August the 2nd, 2004, and it's an amazing review. Um, I don't know how Hertzberg managed to get through that 999 pages. I still haven't finished the book. Uh, let's see what he has to say. I wanted to, oh gee, I wanted to read it all to you. Uh, the gist of it is that Clinton had to operate in a hostile environment. And every time I brought that up with my friends, they would uh, point out that, of course, he wasn't perfect and that perhaps his wife had cut some ethical corners, that kind of thing. Uh, and I tried to explain that these two people came to office thinking that they could complete the work of the New Deal and the Fair Deal and the Great Society and LBJ's War on Poverty and all that sort of thing. And, you know, the universal health insurance went down, crashing down, and I'm afraid Bill Clinton wimped out a bit. He didn't really, really back Hillary up on that one. And uh, uh, I remember four months after he was in office... Uh, I remember, what was it you remember? The first one was, of course, gays in the military. A terrible, terrible defeat. Instead of coming on, I would say, uh, no holes barred, Bill flip-flopped, shilly-shallied, he waffled, he minced. <laughs> but in his book, he says that it didn't matter. My errors didn't matter, he said, because Bob Dole decided to kill my health care reform, right? And I was stuck. Yeah, right. Okay. This is true. Uh, I'm not sure. The mistakes that the Clintons made, I think, were pretty much beside the point. Um, the Republican cabal was tough as nails. And uh, they they weren't, what is it? They weren't amenable I've been watching Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to do the same thing here in the state of California. Now, maybe he can do it. He's a good arm twister. But Bill Clinton wanted to be liked. He wanted to get along. Yes, can't we all just get along? I think at the beginning, he should have been tougher 
You remember um, the rules. I remember when I was a teacher. They always told us to come on like Attila the Hun, you know. First time you walk in that classroom, scare the pants off them. And Bill, of course, was mellow, and he didn't do that. Nevertheless, check it out. Um, Bill Clinton, My Life. Uh, a book like none we have ever had from a president. Uh, someone who's actually willing to spill the beans. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go over to the Unitarians on Friday night and see my friend Mariah Gallardin. She's in that series, So How'd You Become an Activist? That's the Berkeley Fellowship of Unitarian Universalists, 1924 Cedar Street at Bonita. Give them a call. I'll see you there maybe Friday night. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Just how does the U.S. endless war drive affect our communities? Here at home, the Bayview-Hunters Point community is one of the hardest hit by the war. On Tuesday, September 14th at 7 p.m., we'll hear Maurice Campbell from the Community First Coalition discuss the struggle in Bayview against police brutality, environmental racism, and gentrification. That's Tuesday, September 14th, 7 p.m. at the San Francisco Women's Building, 3543 18th Street. A 5 to $10 donation benefits the ongoing work of the Answer Coalition. For more information, call 415-821-6545. Imagine life.